0: See
1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health to making smart decisions with your money. And we give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor uh, with Richard Young Associates. Great day to be here, uh, Steve. It is a great day to be here, and we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show right here every Saturday, like today, from 9 to 10 a.m., and streaming live on moneymd.net, our website and do check us out on our website you can click in the upper right hand corner you can listen to us anywhere in the world Um, you can stream us right there you can also tune into our podcast our podcast from all of our previous shows are right there on the website they're listed by by topic Um, so you can pick the ones you're interested in and there's just no excuse that's right, look through there, get your uh, prescription of the week or uh, just catch up with us stay up with us all week Exactly. Exactly. So you can listen to all the great shows there. And you can also email us. We'd love to hear from you. You can link to us there on our website, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, Gordon, I think we have an awesome show lineup up for today here. Um, Some great topics. So that's right. Yeah. Without John, I guess he's out. I don't know if he's on vacation or, or whatever it is. Uh, maybe he's maybe probably could... working in Hawaii or something. Uh, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. Out there leisurely. Enjoy uh, the time, John. Yeah, for sure. He's on vacation, so uh, we're filling in for him today without him. and uh, But we have a great show, though. We're going to talk about, um, you know, one of the things we're talking about is the eight signs that your financial ship is sinking. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know there are some telltale signs that you might be going down like the Titanic. That that's right. That's and right. Uh, so you got to you got to look at these signs. That are really important and just make sure that you know these don't these don't sound familiar to you. Yeah. Or,
2: or if they are starting to pop up, then you need to do something about them. You need to get some help. So that's right, we're going to tell sure. you
1: some of the signs to look for, um, some of the symptoms. And uh, then we're going to follow that up with another good segment.
2: That's right. You know, it's, it's getting warm. We're already into summer here, and uh, we're going to look at some summer temptations that can scorch your budget and can really take a toll. You know, there's so many different activities, things to do. Uh, we want you to have fun, but we don't want it to cost you uh, until Christmas. You know, we don't want it to follow you all the way uh, until then. So, some gr- good tips that we'll have in that um, part
1: yeah, as you, well. You want to pay attention to those. Uh, those, those budget tips. And then the um, we're going to finish up with the shrinking middle class. Hmm. There's a new study out that says the middle class is shrinking, hmm. but it's not what most people think. That's right. That's the interesting part of this. There's a twist here. That's the right. new study says, no, you know. Don't give it away. I'm not going to give it okay. away. It's shrinking, right. but it's not going where you think it is. That's right. It's actually a great story. It's a great article and a great study, and it shows that, you know, things might not be as bad as we think they are. Or at least as bad as the media has portrayed it at times. Exactly. So very interesting topic. You'll want to stick around for that. But we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. And uh, that fact is... um, the M1 money supply is a measure of the cash and readily available checking and savings throughout the economy. So it's a measure of the amount of liquid money that's out there in the economy for people to spend, right? right. That's called the M1 money supplies. It has more than doubled from $1.5 trillion to $3.2 trillion over the last eight years since 2008. Huh. That's a lot. That's a lot because a the lot. last, the previous doubling – took 18 years so it took 18 years for it to double previously and the last time it doubled here in the last only took 8 years and that's
2: less than half
1: that's less than half so it just shows how much money has been pumped into the economy out there that's readily available for people at a moment's notice to spend and that's really bad for potential inflation now we haven't seen much inflation Especially uh, over the for last a long years, long time yeah. um, but, it, but if, we, if people got an inkling to go out and spend that money it would create a lot of inflation um, but it's good for the potential stock market gains and how's that because the stock market has not seen that money that money has not gone right. into the stock market in the last eight years it's sitting in bank accounts so basically you're saying there's a lot of buying potential there a lot of buying potential if the stock market gets gets some momentum and it gets hot again like it did back in you know the late the late 90s, Um, There's money sitting out there that people could pump into the stock market and would would obviously cause it to go up tremendously. Um, So there's lots of potential for the stock market. And there's potential for inflation, depending on where that money goes. Is it going good in service, goods, and services, or do people decide to invest it? Right. If they invest it. Stock market could do very, very well. So let's let's hope they Im- decide to invest some. Yeah, but it's an interesting fact. <laughs> that is I mean, there's a good. lot good, of good cash fact. that has gone into the economy here in the past eight years by the Fed and and just uh, various means like that. That was a good one. All right, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the eight signs that your financial ship may be sinking. Mm. Um, You know, this is a great article out of bankrate.com, and, you know, I mean, the bottom line here is, I mean, the lines between the future of financial solvency and one of distress is thinner than you might think. Um, Unfortunately, many people don't realize that they're kind of on the wrong side of that divide until it's too late. And they call it the the ostrich syndrome, you know. Hmm. I mean, you know that things aren't good, but you just don't want to face up to them right now. But the earlier you realize that you're having some issues with debt um, or some other financial issues, the better chance you have of fixing them. So here are eight signs that you're flirting with financial ruin and your ship may be sinking. Um, So you want to pay attention to these. Make sure this doesn't doesn't sound like you. We're going to bring a lifeline. Exactly. We are gonna (laughs) we're gonna tell you how to plug those holes in your financial ship, make sure you're not sinking if this is you but you know if four or more of these sounds familiar then it's getting critical and you may want to seek some help you know they recommend looking for a free nonprofit credit counseling service um, you can search for one free um, for a low-cost counseling provider in your area by visiting the national foundation for credit counseling website another alternative is to contact a fee-only financial planning firm like ourselves and our certified financial planner the national association of personal financial advisors nafta is what we call it um, maintains a database of fee-only advisors planners on their website so um you can look us up right there or or heck you can just call the money doctors another another option yeah but if your financial ship is on course um, for a life of luxury. Or, you know, the other question is, is it following the fate of the Titanic? Well, here are the telltale signs that you're headed for financial disaster. So number one here on the list is you're paying late fees and you're juggling bills. Um, that, that's obviously very problematic. Habitually, if you're running up late fees, uh, you typically have one or two causes. Um, if you're paying late, because you you can't pay on time that's a clear indicator of future financial trouble but if you're paying late fees because you're just lazy about it then you're just throwing away money you know that's a serious symptom of financial distress um that you're you're just if you're doing that typically you're juggling money around um trying to make payments and um you know, you're, you're, you're just trying to keep services flowing, but you're never paying the balances on time and in full. I mean, that's a problem. Your debt worsens every single month as balances grow. You're thinking ahead of time. I don't really have enough money to pay the bills. Um, and you're, you're sort of living paycheck to paycheck. So that's one paying late fees and juggling the bills. That's a problem.
2: Yeah, and number two is you
1: know counting on future windfalls. I actually
2: heard a young lady just yesterday, Steve, who said, you know, I can't wait uh, till I get my inheritance. You know, and she was just talking about how she was spending now. But if you're if you're if that's your mindset and uh, you know you're you're depending on that. You're also in a in a pretty big uh, predicament as well, you know. Or if you're waiting on, say, a, a big tax refund, that can that can put your finances in dire straits. You know, it's also a symptom of a bigger problem. You're you're actually rationalizing your debt uh, issues. You know, if you're planning on a bonus that doesn't materialize, um, you know that that can be very very dangerous as well. So if you think like that, you're setting
1: yourself up for fail. You know, just for failure, and that's that's very dangerous. Exactly. So that's a that's a good uh, indicator as well. If you're counting on some future windfall to, to bail you out. Third one here on the list is you have multiple credit cards, and you're playing the hocus pocus game hmm. with those. The shell game, huh? The shell game. There you go. I mean, credit cards are the are best used. It's a convenient way to make purchases without having to carry cash around, right? And, and earn rewards. We all know that. We love doing that. Getting the rewards. Um, but you know, and if you're a savvy consumer and use credit cards and you get the points for them, then you're charging groceries, gas, but you're paying them off at the end of the month. That's the key. Not dragging it around with you. Exactly. I mean, if your credit card debt is continually rising and you're unable to make more than the minimum payments, your balance will continue to rise and eventually it's going to swallow you. Absolutely. And if you fail to keep up with that minimum payment for more than 60 days, your rate is going to jump as well. Um, in on your on your credit cards the rate you're paying so and that's gonna make your financial situation even worse so while cardholders they can stave off trouble temporarily by making the minimum payments or shifting balances to new cards any kind of sudden change in your finances such as you know rising gas prices um, some kind of unexpected bill can certainly destabilize your finances and it can sink your ship so don't fall in that trap you know, don't don't get out there paying the, playing the shell game and, you know, moving money around between cars to try to make payments. Because eventually it's going to catch up to you. That's a disaster, no doubt. Okay, well that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with Gordon Leopard, who's a financial advisor at Rich Young Associates, along with along with me. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the eight signs that your financial ship may be sinking. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are critical signs, and 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 there's always telltale signs before somebody gets into serious trouble. You know, just like our economy. I mean, you kind of if you're kind of reading the tea leaves and paying attention, you can see the signs, and in our financial lives, our personal lives, the same thing. There are signs that you may be headed toward trouble, and so we got eight of them here that you need to pay attention to, particularly if you're kind of on the bubble and you're not sure where you fall. Um, One of them is the first one we talked about is paying late fees, juggling bills around. You know, I mean, if you're paying late fees on bills and you're kind of juggling money around, that's a clear sign you may be in trouble. So you need to pay attention to that. Um, and as we said, if you have more than four of these signs, then you're definitely headed for trouble. You need some help. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not heading. You're there. You're there. You're there, right? So, but, but you know, a couple of these maybe is just some circumstances right, right. that you need to kind of right the ship uh, by getting an emergency fund. Um, the second one here, though, is counting on a future windfall. And we meet, we sit down with people, and they, they're counting on future money, bailing them out. They're waiting for their tax return, you know, money to come in to to pay off their credit cards that's a bad sign so you got to pay attention to that that's right and that's and then the the third one here that we talked about is multiple credit cards you're kind of juggling money between credit cards trying to meet the minimum payments that's a serious sign you know one thing that you mentioned there is if if you don't make that payment for 60 days
2: sometimes steve uh some of those cards are even 30 days that's you right. Know, if, if you don't uh, make
1: the right payment, and they will take that interest rate as high as they can. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're, they're quickly. Pa- they're paying attention because they they know you know they kind of have algorithms that run. They know who's who's a potential problem that may declare bankruptcy or something, and so they're going to jack it up on you quickly. Oh, yeah. To yeah. try to get their money back. So that's a bad sign if you're juggling credit cards around. You know the next one here on the list, Gordon, is I mean fighting with your partner over finances. I think this is an interesting one because it's not one people really pay attention to. They don't really associate it with being in bad financial shape. But the truth is, I mean, if you and your partner, if that's an issue with you and your spouse about finances, um, it's a sign. You need to pay attention to it. You may, you may be in financial trouble and you may not be you'd be keeping up with everything. I mean, most couples, they have occasional fights about, you know, or disagreements about debt. But, if you regularly fight with your spouse about money, I mean, it can be a sign there's not enough disposable income to finance your family' spending, likewise, I mean, if you regularly are suffering from stress over heavy debts, it could be an indication that your financial situation is unstable it's If it's on your mind, but you don't want to talk about it, that's another issue. Um, you can't sleep at night maybe because you're worried about your bills. You know, if that description sounds familiar, it might be time to seek some help. Yeah, you, you really should. You should really should sit down and talk with somebody uh,
2: if, if that's the case. Exactly. You know, uh, number number five here is regularly paying overdraft fees. Now, that kind of correlates back to uh, what we were talking about a moment ago. You know, if you're constantly incurring these fees for over, you know, overdrawing your checking account, um, something like that, you could be on the brink of financial disaster. Um you know, it's compared to non-sufficient fund fees or NSF fees. Um, you know, this, this gentleman in, in the, the article, he, he compared it to the nautical flags raised to warn of dangers. you know, wind, dangerous wind conditions. You know, if you're getting a lot of the NSF notices, that's a hurricane warning flag. Um, it's here. You know, that's not a warning. That's a, a real problem that's here now. And a lot of people, man, they, these things just pile up on them. And it can literally drown them.
1: Yeah, they really can. You have to be a, pay attention to that. I mean, regular overdraft fees, they can occur for a couple of reasons they mentioned here. Many uh, serial overdrafters are struggling financially, don't have the income available to cover their debts, meaning that they're likely on the verge of, of maybe declaring bankruptcy. That's right, that's so right. it's a serious sign. You need to pay attention to that. Next one here on the list is you have a, you have a savings rate of zero, not a not saving a dime. Zero. That's a bad sign. Hmm. It's a bad sign. Yeah, if you're unable to set aside a small amount of money for savings in your budget, your finances are on unstable footing. Hmm. Savings is an expense, you know, and it's something that should be budgeted for, just like any other expense. What's going to happen is something's going to come along, and an unexpected car repair or a home repair or an interruption in your income And you're going to be in a very bad place. And while savings may be difficult, not savings puts you at financial risk of hardship. With no savings, you're really standing on the edge of a cliff. Many people rely on credit for their emergency backstop, but credit is not an effective Emergency savings fund. You can't rely on credit cards or some kind of home equity loan for your emergency savings. That doesn't work. It's dangerous ground for sure. It definitely is. Yeah, I mean, if banks see you regularly adding abnormally high charges to, to credit cards, they'll clamp down on your limit. And in order to be financially healthy, you need to set aside for unexpected emergencies for future retirement as well. Um, In emergencies, they come along, you know, uh, really they come along pretty routinely. They happen. It's called life. That's right. They happen. I mean, retirement will definitely happen. So you got to save money for retirement as well. But you need three to six months in an emergency fund. We talk about that all the time. That's critical.
2: That is is critical. You know, and speaking of retirement, uh, Steve, that kind of leads us into our next point. You know, covering expenses with retirement savings. Now, we discourage against this as much as possible, you know, borrowing and withdrawing retirement funds uh, from your 401k is a common thread in many of the cases of financial distress and you see some people who just continually rob their 401ks uh, and a lot of times they find themselves not being able to pay that money back Uh, and when that happens that loan actually goes into default and they are going to be responsible for the tax consequences of that money, so you know, those 401ks K loans, those are usually bad ideas under circumstances, under most circumstances. But when you have
1: more than one, that's a sign that you're you're in a very bad position. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, regularly pillaging your retirement savings, it's not just a warning sign that you're living outside your means. It could have serious consequences for retirement. Oh yeah, you know, extremely it's, it's, long-term you're, you're, consequences. You're t- even though you pay it back, you're taking money out of the market, so you're not taking advantage of the gains that you typically get in a 401k over time, because your money's always out, you know, and it's just being it's a loan, um, and it lessens the beneficial effects of compounding that help retirement funds grow. So the bottom line here is: leave your 401k alone. Don't dip into your 401k for funds. That's a really bad sign. Um, next one here on the list is treating your home like a piggy bank <laughs> yeah we see that 's an interesting t- one right
2: there the way it, they they
1: title that it is I mean we see this all the time I mean people use home equity as a financial crutch um, it 's something that we see often with clients that are heading toward financial trouble. you know such moves they're they 're especially ominous if they 're due to a serious financial need. If they're not due to serious financial need, but some kind of desire, a want, you know, a vacation, a new car, you know, adding on to your house just to, you know, upgrade bathrooms and things. We see this all the time. I mean, people take money, take about a home equity loan. um, They increase their mortgage as a result. And or maybe they're paying with a vacation for a home equity loan. And you're amortizing that over 15 or 20 years. I mean, it's crazy. So don't do that. And if, if they do that, Steve, you're right. They'll tend to probably do it more than once. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's just a piggy bank. They go back and forth Man. to it. Wow. They continually live off their home equity loan, and they keep that balance going. Um, it's a bad sign you're never paying off your house that way, and you need your house to be paid off before retirement. It just doesn't make any sense. Don't do it. Stay away from home equity loans. That's number eight here on the list. So, yeah, um, you know, these are important signs. Pay attention to these. Make sure your financial ship is stable. It's floating well. It's not sinking. These eight financial uh, signs do not apply to you. That's right. It's very, very important here. Okay, well that leads us up here to our
2: question of the week. All right. Steve, here's our question of the week. I've heard low intru- or excuse me, I've heard low returns are the new normal for the stock market going forward. Is there any basis for that being true? What do you think there?
1: Yeah. We hear this pretty often, you know, particularly in a, with a couple years of, of bad returns or any any period of poor flat. returns in the stock market. This theme comes back that, oh, this is the new normal. This is what we're living with. We're not really going to see, um, you know, markets grow the way they have in the past. And, you know, there's really not a lot of basis for this. I mean, it is true that GDP growth has been slow recently. And it could be long-term. You hear you hear some reason, valid reasons for it being long-term, slow, ahead, you know, due to national debt and things like that. Uh, but having said that, the valuations in the stock market are very cheap compared to 15 years ago. And corporate profits growth is really what drives the stock market. So it's profits that drive the stock market, not necessarily GDP growth. Um, and the indications are that profits will likely return to normal at some point here in the near future. Um, so it's really not GDP growth. So I, I don't I don't see any validity to the statement that, you know, returns are going to, for a long, long period of time, are going to be, be low. below the historic average for the stock market of 10 or 11 percent per year. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, I know that sounds incredibly good for today, but uh, – at some point, I think we'll return to that. I really do. All right. Thank you. All right. That leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at our regular business hours, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages in and GNN News. Stay with us.
3: Money, money, money,
1: money. Welcome back to Money M D. Money Doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with me, and we are going to um, start a new topic here in our new segment here, and that is the uh, summer temptations that can scorch your budget. That's right. It gets hot out there. It yeah, does get hot, and it's not just the temperature
2: that we're talking about either. You know, it can it can burn a hole in your wallet.
1: Yeah, you don't want to smoke your budget here. <laughs> and uh,
2: they, 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 there's some things that can do that, right, Gordon? Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, ran across a, a good article on DaveRamsey.com that was written by his daughter, Rachel Cruz. Um, here recently and and it really addresses you know some of the things that we're we 're dealing with we 're facing here at summer summer's an exciting time you know we want to have a good time it 's fun the kids are out of school you know, but we want you to do it right, so you know every season it has its own share of money temptations, but summertime it could possibly be the worst you know i 'd say followed closely by Christmas
1: yeah, Christmas, you say Christmas is probably number you know? one that 's when people really smoke their budget but uh well the thing about summer though is that it's three months it's only three months but yeah there are some things that can bite you so you need to pay attention here we're at the beginning of summer right now and um so yeah you really need to pay attention to what what these things can do to your budget that's right you know the beach is calling your name and every free hour seems like a good opportunity uh
2: to spend more money blame it on the sun or sometimes blame it on the rain but i'm not going to go into that uh that that song there so i'll spare you the karaoke solo so you know yes it's easy to spend money in the summer but that doesn't mean that you always should uh if you've got the money and aren't in debt then by all means have that party Take that vacation, whatever the case may be. But if you're still working to get your way out of debt, then seriously, look out for those things that are enticing and are just calling your name, uh, because they're everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there's there's something else that you can um, spend your money on. So we've got a list of several things here, Steve. What's what's our first one here that we should we should pay attention closely to?
1: Yeah, the first one here, Gordon, is overpriced vacations. And I, I plead guilty to this one. <laughs> I plead well, guilty. Okay, but get back to the sense that we were just at. If you can afford it and That's you right. can enjoy it and it's not gonna follow you home. That's right. I do pay cash for them. You Always go. pay them off. You know, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I I pay. I put them on credit card, but I immediately pay it. Never run a balance. So, you, you know, hey, yeah, I can afford it. But yeah, I mean, I do love vacations. I understand the drive to go on a great <laughs> vacation because I I do it. You know, I mean, I, I believe in vacations, and you know, hey, you only go around once, and you can't count on being here. You know, when you're when you're seventy and retired, so you you got to enjoy it but if you can afford it. That's you you got to set aside money for it, you got to budget for it appropriately. And I mean it is a huge temptation. I mean we see ads everywhere, you know. If you order the dream vacation um, by the end of the month, we'll we'll knock $100 off your price, maybe, or we'll knock it 60% off. You know, I see the, the cruise. I like to look at the cruise right, ads, right. okay, because I love cruises, uh-huh. and and I'll go on cruise.com, and they have these, they always splash these huge ads across the screen. Buy it now. Oh, 60% off, you know, the second person on the cruise. <laughs> and I am a big believer in cruises. I think that's a very efficient way, if you do it right, right. to take a vacation, have it all included, and see some great sites and get the food and entertainment all thrown in and kind of know what you're going to spend but you know you can kill it there too you can absolutely just smoke it on a cruise if you go in there and you start drinking and and you pay him for drinks and gambling you pay, excursions gambling <laughs> and you name it you know you can get off the boat and spend a lot of money at these ports so you get and you can airfare to the cruise so you got to be careful um but I am all about taking dream vacations that create memories, warm memories with your kids. But you got to do it on a budget and you got to be careful. Um yeah, we all have uh, you know a summer vacation, um you know hopefully that we're all doing a summer vacation. We love that. Um you know, but you need to pay for it with cash. That's really the key here. And if you're using debt to pay for your vacation, then you're doing that all wrong and, and you should be you should you should be taking a cheaper vacation or none at all, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean vacation should not be done on debt. That's really the bottom line. You gotta use cash for vacations. That is critical. Save up, pay cash you know, don't fall for the slick marketing tricks that, you know, talk you into paying for a trip that you can't afford. So be careful about overpriced vacation. That's a good one. Good point there.
2: All right. Number two, bad mortgages. You know, everybody's got house fever in the springtime and summertime. Uh, some people, they just they go driving around on a Sunday and. Just go looking, you know. Hey, we're just looking, kind of like at the car lot. You know, then before you know it, they find themselves at the table closing on a 30-year mortgage with an adjustable rate and nothing down. Wow. Bad, bad idea. You know, that's not just a summertime mistake. That could be a lifetime mistake sure can. Uh, right there. You know, house fever, it, it'll put you in the poorhouse quicker than you, than you think. Uh, it can get you there fast. If you can afford a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage with a down payment of at least 10%, that's what we try to encourage, and a monthly payment that is no more than, say, 25% of your take-home pay then you're you're good to go. you're in a pretty good spot, but if not, then hey let's let's take a step back, save up, and let that fever subside
1: okay yeah I'm going to revise that and say twenty percent down. I mean we like to see people yeah. not get a PMI insurance. we don't want them to be underwater the second they step in a house if values drop, um, you want to put twenty percent down if you can and, and as we've Very seen important. in you know the housing market. It How can it, drop. Can, it can drop? That's right. And you don't want to be underwater. You don't want that, to be there when that happens. So you know, because if you're forced to move because of a job change or something, and then you can't, you can't pay off the mortgage. You're stuck. So you want twenty percent down, fifteen year mortgage. That's a must. So I fully agree. All
2: right, and this next point, I know this one probably doesn't apply to you, Steve pricey swimsuits. (laughs) It definitely doesn't (laughs) apply to me. All right, all right, here he goes. So compared to mortgages, you know, and week-long vacations, you know, the swimsuit really isn't that big a deal. Uh, But it can be if you're not careful. Uh, And that depends on where you shop for these swimsuits. Um, You know, unless you've got a hefty budget, there's no need to spend hundreds of dollars on beach clothing uh, that you might only wear a few times. You can still look trendy, still look nice, without paying the trendy prices. I actually looked up. Up online, high-end swimwear, Did you? and I found some that were, were as much as 405 Dollars, really? That's incredible. Four hundred dollars. Imagine so,
1: paying that for—I I don't just know. I mean, a little if, bit of clothing. If Kathy <laughs> came to me with the right Victoria's Secret swimsuit, <laughs> I think I could come off the hip for $500, 400 bucks for that. You might be able to do that and take her on vacation. Okay, <laughs> so she's not going to do that. She's going to kill I, you. She's way too modest. <laughs> she would never. Hey, I would. I I'd love for her to buy new swimwear and stuff like that. She's going to kill you, Steve. Yeah, it doesn't happen. So okay, but uh, all right, yeah. and that takes us to number four. It does. Number four here, iced coffee and other beverages. Um, yeah, these grab-and-go purchases, they can really add up, you know, over the course of the year. I mean, they don't sound like much, but you, st- you go out there and you start hitting up these $5, $4 lattes and drinks and ice beverages and things every single day, you know, on your way to work or the way home. Um, it, it really does add up, particularly for somebody on a tight budget. Um, You know, while you're out running errands or you're shopping with your friends, uh, you might feel the need to stop and grab a delicious iced coffee, maybe, or um, go to a coffee shop, you know, they're on every corner nowadays and they're promoting these fancy sounding custom made drinks. Um that are you know, it's it's a, easy to understand how that can really add up. And I'm not saying never buy a delicious coffee drink or something like that. Um, but if coffee is your vice, then allow yourself a little room in the budget so that you can indulge guilt free, build it into your budget. That's the key. You gotta that's have true. all this built right. into a budget, right? I mean that's really what this comes down to. And moderation there. Yeah, know, so consider pacing. consider compiling all of your errands into one one uh, a day trip instead of, of three, so that you can enjoy your treat without busting your budget. Just plan accordingly is really the point here.
2: That's a good point. And then the last one here uh, that we're, we're going to cover, and, and try not to send too much hate mail on this one, but it's sporting tournaments and sporting equipment for the kids. Now, this can get mm. really expensive. It can. Uh, you know, and trust me, I understand how competitive the sporting world is now, uh, but kids, they can find themselves playing sports 24 7, $365. Days a year, you know everything from batting gloves to to golf balls, tennis rackets, soccer equipment. You know it doesn't matter. The list could go on and on. Uh, you can make sure your kids are active and healthy without spending hundreds or sometimes even thousands of dollars on this equipment and a a different tournament every single weekend if you're not careful. Um, This is an easy temptation to to get caught up in, uh, you know, with just so much hype around it. But the truth of the matter is there's only about 2% of high school athletes that actually are awarded sports scholarships, you know, and so the amount of money that some people are pouring into chasing that, you know, they could actually be saving for college too or at least part of that. So, you know, it's uh, it can be it can be very very expensive. That's another one that we we need to be very aware of. So, I want you to enjoy your summer. Yeah, that's, that's the main don't, thing. Don't. Be able to pay for it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Don't let these temptations uh, uh, scorch your budget. Reckon. Yeah. So, all right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions for us, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Anytime, or you can give us a call during regular business hours, Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbot, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor and Associates, along with me. And we are starting off our last segment here with, um, first of all, the prescription of the week.
2: That's right, Steve. This is a great prescription uh, that you've come up with this week. S- And it's based around uh, medical savings accounts, all right, health savings account. Consider switching to an HSA-qualified health plan and fully fund your HSA or your health savings account with... $3,350 $3,350 if you're a single person, $6,750 if you're uh, married or you know, filing joint. Like a medical Roth account, uh, this, is, this is very similar to like a medical Roth account on steroids. You know, this is a super, super tool uh, that can be used in a number of different ways. Here's a couple of advantages to it. You can deduct it like an IRA, it's deductible like an IRA. Right up front. That's yep. right. It grows tax-free like a Roth. And when you take that money out, the distributions are tax-free as long as they're used toward qualified medical expenses. And and that
1: can roll from year to year. It can keep going. Yeah. The, the point with that is the expenses don't have to happen this year in your calendar year. That's right. They can happen over your lifetime, so all you gotta do, what I do, I, and I have one of these. We have one for our family, and Kathy's been on a, you know, had an HSA account. It's in her name for a family, for probably ten years, and and we we try to fully fund that every year. It's it's for one, it's a it's a tax, it's an adjustment to your gross income. It's not only a deduction; it's an adjustment to gross. There's no income cap on it, so it comes right off of your income. So it's deductible, just like a Roth. IRA contribution, but then, like you mentioned, it's tax free when it comes out the other end. So it's deductible like a regular IRA. It's tax free like a Roth. So you get the benefits of both, which is incredible. Oh, it's very advantageous. It's just an incredible thing. And then, and then you can just save your medical bills over your lifetime till you till you really want to take the money out. So I just throw all our medical bills in a drawer, and we just keep saving them, saving, saving. Them. And then you can add them all up. You can take that money out any time. In the future huh. it's just an incredible benefit
2: well and and these are gaining a lot more popularity uh they're growing at about a rate of 25 percent per year and right now we have over 22 million people that are actually utilizing these uh they're starting to see the advantages of them like you were talking about and it's uh, it's really starting to grow into a great thing so yeah. hsa's people check them out make sure yeah. you have a qualified uh, plan in place so that you can put the hsa to work for you.
1: Yeah, and with a lot of employers, you have the option of either an HSA-qualified health plan or a a PPO-type health plan that's not HSA-qualified. Pick the HSA one and fully fund an HSA account. All right. That's a good prescription there. So that's the prescription of the week. Great. That leads up to our last topic here, and that is the shrinking middle class. Um, You know, this is a great topic because there's a new study that just came out um, from the Urban Institute. And it's not what it sounds like, you know. People f- talk about the, the the income disparity between the top one percent and the r- rest of the ninety nine percent, and they make it sound like the middle class is indeed shrinking, but they're getting poorer. Um, this is a little bit of a twist on that, right? It says America is slipping backwards. If you buy the angry rhetoric from from the you know politicians out there and the media, the rich are getting richer, the middle class can barely make it. The ranks of the poor are swelling, right? Except the numbers do tell somewhat of a different story. In this new study by the Urban Institute, examined, uh, they examined the composition of the middle class since 1979, over the last roughly 35 years. Um, this went through 2014, but right. it just came out. And, um, you know, more, but more people seem to have moved upward on the income scale than downward, That's the catch here. Um, They show this incredible chart here, and what it shows is that the upper middle class has more than doubled over the last 35
2: years. So are you saying that the mainstream media might be spinning it just a little bit here, Steve? Yeah,
1: yeah, what's happened, exactly, the middle class is shrinking. It's gone from 39% to about 32% is the middle class, but where they've gone, they've gone to the upper middle class. Right. The upper middle class has jumped from thirteen percent to twenty nine percent, so uh, you know uh, all of the increases have gone to the upper middle class, and the lower class has dropped from twenty four percent to seventeen percent. That seven percent, they didn't go to the poor, to the they, they didn't move down the they, scale. They moved they stepped up. up. Actually, they jumped all the way up to the upper middle class. The Upper middle class has gained. Gee, what is that, Gordon? Is sixteen percent?
2: Yeah. So it's telling us right here on on a whole, sixty three percent of the population now counts as middle class or higher, and that's up from 51.8% in uh, 1979. So, you know, that is
1: that is a little bit different story than we've uh, we've kind of been getting in the, the media. That's a lot different story. So, I mean, so how does the study define, you know, uh, these different classes? Well, adjusted from inflation, they say, okay, the poor is considered up to $30,000 a year okay. for a family of three, uh, lower middle class is thirty to fifty thousand a year. middle class is fifty to a hundred thousand per year I think that 's a pretty good definition and then upper middle class is a hundred thousand to three fifty so that 's a pretty good income over a hundred thousand all the way to three fifty right that 's upper middle class and the rich is three hundred fifty thousand or more i don 't think too many people can disagree with that now, that is a pretty um, good
2: breakdown there it 's
1: a pretty good breakdown and and I think it 's just remarkable to see that we have this uh, you know now 29 percent they're making from 100 to 350 um that's a pretty big jump you know in, in the number in the in the rich or have grown from virtually zero like 0.1 percent 35 years ago to, to almost two percent almost two percent so so that's pretty good um Yeah, I mean, the good news and bad news, and the good news is the average American is, in fact, getting ahead. In contrast to the gloomy pictures that, you know, the candidates and the politicians and the media have have painted out there, total income adjusted for inflation rose 53% from 1979 to 2014, and that's adjusted for inflation, right? So total income went up 53%. The bad news is, yeah, there is a bigger share of the nation's income that goes to the rich, and the upper middle class of course the middle class moved to the upper middle class so you know there there's a bigger portion going there because there are more people in that class um, but that's why the middle and the, the lower class have feel like they're falling behind if you're in that class yeah there is a bigger disparity there now there are more people in the in the wealthy ranks
2: yeah you know every income group except for the very poor uh has enjoyed some income gains since 1979 uh yet the gains at the the top vastly outstrip those near the bottom you know so nearly everybody's getting richer it's just that the rich are getting richer much faster uh according to this article you know so there, there's definitely uh i think a couple different ways that people are looking at that
1: Yeah, a lot of Americans would undoubtedly dispute the notion that most people, even the working class, are better off now than they were in the 80s or 90s. But, you know, and there are several reasons people might feel that way. I mean, they feel like they're falling behind when the data shows that, in fact, they're not. Um, First, women and minorities, you know, have been catching up with white men in terms of education and career attainment, closing the gap. That used to be very, very wide. White males are, are losing some of their advantage, according to this study, um, in this article. You know, they might feel like they're losing when it comes to comes to income disparity.
2: Yeah, not really that they're losing, but they're just they're winning by less.
1: That's exactly <laughs> right. That's <laughs> you know? that's really what they're pointing out here. Yeah, and it, workers, you know, without a college degree, are clearly handicapped in the knowledge economy that we're in, with fewer and fewer jobs in manufacturing. Um, And blue-collar, you know, blue-collar type, you know, fields. Um, And that correlates with older white men are drawn to Republican, you know, more kind of outside candidates that are – and politicians that are beating that drum of income disparity and wage stagnation. Right, right.
2: Well, and, you know, the growing gap between the upper 40 percent and the lower 60 percent can also create, you know – class resentment sometimes among the middle earners who see a lot of others with more and feel something is wrong. Uh, You know, a mushrooming income uh, for the top two quintiles, I guess, you know, has led to a booming of luxury items and, you know, swell in size of the average home and other indulgences. Um, But, you know, when it really comes down to it, um, you know, that's that's not what it's really about at all. You know, we've got to be thankful for what we have, you know, and
1: uh, just... Yeah. Strive to another day. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you look at the numbers here, though. I mean, the, even the, the, the 50th percentile, the middle the middle uh, income level across all spectrums has had a 30% gain in income when you look at these graphs um, over the past 35 years. So I think it paints a much different picture when you look at it long term over 35 years. And, and, in fact, America has gotten a lot more wealthy across all spectrums. Um, And that's a really, really good thing. So we can be thankful that we're in a pretty wealthy country and, you know, we've been blessed and, you know, really across all spectrums. And and that doesn't mean that, we know, we shouldn't continue to fight to help the poor and people get ahead and help our economy to grow. Um, But, you know, we can look at it in different light and say, you know, we're in a great country. All in all, we are. We've been really, really blessed. Okay, we'll end with that note. But uh, So, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. Give us a call during regular business hours, Richard Young Associates, 706 739. Thanks for listening. Have a, great Have a great weekend.
0: Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates. A registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.